Hello and welcome to Baylor Connections, a conversation series with the people shaping our future. Each week we go in depth with Baylor leaders, professors, and more discussing important topics in higher education, research, and student life. I'm Derek Smith and today we are visiting with George Yancey. Dr. Yancey serves as Professor of the Social Sciences in Baylor's Department of Sociology. A widely published author and scholar, Dr. Yancey studies institutional racial diversity, racial identity, academic bias, progressive Christians, and anti-Christian hostility. He came to Baylor in 2019 from the University of North Texas. His most recent book, Beyond Racial Division, a unifying alternative to color blindness and anti-racism, came out earlier this year. A lot going on, and we appreciate you visiting with us. Dr. Yancey, thanks for joining us on the program today. Thanks for having me. Well, great to visit with you. And I want to start off by getting sort of an overlook at what you do. I gave a very brief rundown at the top here, but I'm curious as a researcher, what are the types of questions that most interest you, that most motivate you to pursue in your work? Well, you know, it goes from time to time and different times of my life. I've been driven by different questions. Right now, while I'm doing other research, I'm really driven by the idea of how we can apply uh, collaborative conversations to our racial hostilities and polarization in order to uh, have better conversations, find better solutions, work together rather against each other. And so that's been a, a major thing that I've been working on right now. I'm looking forward to, to diving into that. And, you know, you are in the Department of, of Sociology. What, what are some of the different disciplines that come together in, in your work? It seems like, you know, so much of research is interdisciplinary. What are some of the different threads that all feed into your work? Well, you know, one thing I'm learning is that there's a lot offered in the discipline of communications for me to learn about. Uh, I think psychology also has been insightful. I've been working with some, some systems, and so I've been working with some people in, in education. Uh, so, you know, there's, you know, sociology does not have the corner, mm -hmm. uh, have not cornered the market on this particular research question by far. Yeah, it seems like it touches on a lot of different areas as, as we think about whether communication or human flourishing and a lot of what, what Baylor talks about. And I'm curious, so you came to Baylor in 2019. What was it that drew you here? It's just a better situation for me uh, in, a, in a lot of different ways. Uh, more resources, more support and things that I wanted to do. So, uh, and they made it very easy for me to uh, make the move. We are visiting with Dr. George Yancey, professor of the social sciences at Baylor. And I'm, what, what uh, if we were to visit uh, one of your, your classes these days, what are some of the things we might hear you discussing with your students? What's really animating those conversations these days? Well, this semester I'm teaching a qualitative methods class. And so it's a lot more methodology. But in the past year, I've taught a lot of race and ethnicity. And I think students really are driven by, you know, how can we really solve our racial problems? How can we figure out ways in which we can solve our racial problems? And I, I, they don't find really good, easy answers out there. And so we, we try to dive into that. You know, when we talk about issues of race and ethnicity, sometimes even well-meaning people can, can tense up a little bit. Uh, how much, when, when you're talking about this in your class, what are some ways that you try to foster really good discussion and get different viewpoints to where they can come together and understand each other? Well, I don't hesitate to uh, to show both sides of issues. You know, uh, I'm not one of these people who say there's no both sides to issues. There's usually both sides to issues. And so I, I'll play devil's advocate, you know, to things that I actually believe. I also make sure that, that anyone who has a, a 
opinion that is, let's say, contrary to a lot of opinions in the class, that person gets a fair hearing and I'll protect that person's right to express their opinion. And, and I, I, I say right front in my classes that this class is not a safe space. You know, if you're looking for a class where you won't find opinions that, uh, that you disagree with, this is not the class for you. And I, I really say that in almost all my classes, that, uh, that this class is not a safe space, because I don't think college should be a safe space for my ideas. Safe for other things, obviously, from being harassed or physically threatened. But, but from ideas, college should not be a safe space. Yeah, the marketplace of ideas has yeah. some controversy to it uh, in some healthy yeah. ways, hopefully, certainly, for <laughs> sure, as we visit with Dr. George Yancey. We mentioned your, your latest book at the top of the show, Beyond Racial Division, A Unifying Alternative to Colorblindness and Anti-Racism. What were your goals in, in writing this book, first of all? Well, I just want to present a different way, a different path that, uh, that a lot of people I don't think have really thought about, because I think we get hit by certain forces that say this is the way we solve racial issues. And, and unfortunately, and the research bears this out, uh, the major ways in which you're trying to deal with race, race, race is not working and is not going to work. So I, you know, I looked at some, what research has said. I, I thought about myself, uh, what I think about certain things. You know, my, my faith came into the play. And uh, I, I try to lay out what I think would be a, a better way in order to approach how we, uh, how we tackle racial alienation and polarization in our society. What are some of the reasons uh, from your standpoint that it's not working like it, like it could these days? Well, you know, if I was to boil it down, and I think this is true for those on the right and the left and however you want to define it. I think that the focus is on how can we get people to do what we want them to do? And human beings are very resistant to that. And in a society where, where you don't have sort of over depression, it's hard to make people do what, what you want them to do without convincing them that they should do it. And so, you know, I just think that we have to find out, find better ways in which we can talk to one another and, and solve problems together, rather than I have a solution, and my goal is to get you to, to uh, fill out my solution as much as I possibly can. And your goal is to try to convince me or to browbeat me into your solution. I think there are ways in which we can come at it and we can say, hey, I have a different solution than you, but we can actually have better conversations. And we do this all the time, right? Like if you're married, you know, you do this all the time. If you have kids, you figure it out. Uh, you know, even with kids, we know that we can't win every single battle without exhausting ourselves. So even with young kids, we figure out how to negotiate things. And yet when it comes to racial issues, we don't. We think, you know, my way or the highway. And, and I think that that attitude is creating a great deal of polarization in our society. Visiting with Dr. George Yensing, you know, and then the title of the book, Beyond Racial Division, Unifying Alternative to Color, Blindness, and Anti-Racism. As we, so we can think along uh, with you on this, uh, how would you define color blindness and anti-racism? They're two, two words that on the surface could, could, could look very positive and have some positive aspects. But when we think about them in this modern context, how would you define them? Yeah, I mean, you know, the terms are great. I mean, they sound great. So color blindness basically is, hey, we're we're going to be blind to color. We're not going to see color. Uh, and it, it sounds great because isn't racism about paying attention to color in a way that is very detrimental to people of color? But it doesn't work because what people of color will tell you is that we can't live a colorblind lifestyle, that there are forces institutionally, 
structurally and sometimes interpersonally that impact us and our race matters. And so colorblindness, and there's a lot of research showing that the uh, the reality for a person of color is different from the reality of a European American. Just one example, one out of a lot of research is that we know that if you're an African-American or Hispanic-American, you apply for a job, you're less likely to get called back for an interview simply because you're African-American and Hispanic-American. We know this through audit studies and a lot of audit studies have shown this. So we have a different reality and colorblindness does not work. Anti-racism is, is a little bit different animal. Uh, you know, what is anti-racism? I mean, and once again, on the surface sounds great. You know, I don't know anyone who says I'm pro-racism in today's age. So anti, we're all anti-racist, right? But anti-racism has a specific meaning. And I read a lot of the literature, the pop literature on anti-racism. And unfortunately, while it has some good things to commend it, one of the things it really does mean is that why is it supposed to do what people of color want them to do? And as I look at the literature, that came out again and again and again. And I've already mentioned, one of the problems we have is we try to force people into our box and they resist and they fight against us. And we keep fighting, keep getting more polarized. And the research bears it out. It's not just my opinion. You know, when we try to do diversity programs, they don't reduce prejudice on the long term. They create resentment. When we try to use overt anti-racism measures to create, to, to increase managers of color, hire more managers of color, we actually get fewer managers of colors in the long term. You know, the research shows again and again and again, anti-racism does not work. So these two things, which sound great, you know, who doesn't want to be, who doesn't want to ignore race when it comes to mistreating people and who does not want to be anti-racist, the way that they are implemented does not work. To what extent, when you think about uh, these two approaches, what, uh, to what extent do well-meaning people utilize these trying to create positive change? And to what extent do, I guess, for lack of a better term, bad actors try to, Mm -hmm. to utilize them? Yeah, you know, you get both on both sides. You know, I, there are people who, you know, who legitimately feel that the, the best way to, to to deal with racial issues is to ignore race, and, you know. And you get people who want to use colorblindness because they want to ignore structural racism. And on the other hand, you know, and I can't give you a percentage, but you get a percentage of people who think anti-racism is justice and is the right way. And then, you know, are there charlatans on? Yes, there are. You know, I, I've seen examples of that. Now, I can I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, 30% or 20% because no one really knows. But you get both on both sides, uh, you know, to manipulate people, which I think is, and I think is one reason why rather than trying to force people to to do one or the other and exclude the other, we need to have a conversation because in the conversation, it's harder for a bad actor to push their, their way because they have to learn how to compromise, how to work with other people, how to find solutions that everyone can live with, rather than just push their own their own solution. So I think that what I'm advocating would reduce the bad actors, or at least make it harder for them to manipulate the situation, uh, you know, the, the ideology. Because a lot of times bad actors hide among good actors, right? So whenever you have a peaceful protest, you get some rioters, and the rioters can go back to the peaceful protesters and say, hey, we're peaceful. Uh, so, you know, you, so you get, you know, metaf- metaphorically, I think that sometimes happens with those who are colorblind and with those who are anti-racist. 
you know, when you talk about a unifying alternative, what is that or what what are some of those that we can think about? So I talk about collaborative conversation, which is conversation which is we build on each other's ideas and it's very goal oriented. So we're trying to find solutions, which means that I have to understand where other people are coming from that disagree with me and they have to understand me. Uh, it means engaging what can be called active listening, which is I listen so that I can understand, not for not just for debate, not just for combat. Uh, I have to learn how to communicate with others in a way they can hear me. You know, with, there is research out there on persuasion. And the way we persuade people is not by browbeating them. You know, the what you see on social media is not persuasion uh, for the most part. Uh, you persuade people by building rapport. You persuade them by admitting when they have a good point by finding common agreement. You know, in other words, real persuasion builds community. What we usually see, polarization divides people. So what I'm talking about is working together for community, for a collaborative conversation, to understand others, to find solutions everyone can live with, find solutions that are stable because everyone works with them, works together on them. Here's a great example. From what I've been reading, chances are very highly likely that affirmative action is going to be overturned by the Supreme Court. So, and why is that? Because affirmative action, um, and this is not a, uh, a, a critique of affirmative action as a plan. I'm just saying that affirmative action has become this thing where people fight over. And now the forces that don't like it have won and they're going to overturn it. Now, what if we, instead of affirmative action, we have some sort of solution where groups across the political aisle say, yes, that is what we're willing to fight for. So instead of fighting one half the country, fighting because another half the country, we actually fight together. We lack that in our society today. And what I'm advocating is that we take steps towards that rather than taking steps towards more fighting, more polarization, more of what we see. This is Baylor Connections. We are visiting with Dr. George Yancey, Professor of the Social Sciences in Baylor's Department of Sociology. And, you know, Dr. Yancey, what, what are some of the headwinds out there to these collaborative conversations that, that you talk about? Because uh, what you describe in a lot of ways does sound so counter to a lot of the noise that's uh, that's out there and really a lot of the probably most popular mediums or channels in which people consume political information. Yeah, well, you know, I think you guys identified the first barrier is I think that there's a lot of the space is taken up by colorblindness and, and, and anti-racism. And so when people want to talk about race, you know, if they look for someone who's going to advocate colorblindness, someone's going to advocate anti-racism, they put them on the channel, and they let them fight each other out. And so, you know, people don't see this because it's not out there. You know, the, 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 uh, the major news stations, uh, the, the major programs aren't interested in this at this point in time. And there's also a barrier in that there is a certain percentage of the population that's deeply wedded to colorblindness and a certain percentage is deeply wedded to anti-racism and they don't want to have a discussion. Now, I believe, and I have some, some surveys to back this up a little bit, that at least half, if not more than half of the country is neither wedded to either one. They may favor one than the other, but they're not wedded to it and, and they're open to a discussion. And part of what I want to see is that half of the country start getting, engaging in a discussion and putting social pressure on those who will who refuse to have a discussion, who only want to force their ideas on others, 
And I think that we can change we can change the norms and values in our country. Now that's that's a long term project. I fully get that, but I think that's where we have to go, uh, because I've learned it's a hard way. You know that some people simply don't want to have a discussion, and if you disagree with them, you are wrong. So uh, so I learned not to try to have a discussion with those folks. I want to have the discussion with people who want to have the discussion, who want to try to figure out solutions, who want to work with with me. And, and I think that's where we have to go. Yeah. Visiting with Dr. George Yancey and, you know, Dr. Yancey, as we have these conversations, sometimes words become buzzwords or become words that the goalposts can move or the definition can shift depending on how someone's using them. I'll just pick two phrases that you've referenced before, woke or, or CRT, critical race theory, or how do those, um, how do woke and CRT, how can, are they used in conversation in ways that maybe don't always help, even when they have potentially something, a real utility to contribute to the conversation? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the term woke really originated, from my knowledge, in, in, in more of the African-American community. Uh, you know, making you know, awakened to the problems that are out there. I guess you can look at it sort of a Marxian way as far as false consciousness without the economic materialism. Uh, but anyways, uh, now it's been used as a term of derision that, uh, you know, people talk about people being woke in a term of derision. Uh, I recognize that the, the term woke refers to a certain, certain, certain types of attitudes but I prefer not to use that term because it's turned into this derision term. And I, I think that not much happens with that. Uh, and so I think we have to be very careful about that. Uh, you know, critical race theory, CRT. It is a, uh, a body of academic literature. Uh, originally, originally, it was to uh, look at our, at our legal realm and how, uh, how laws work against people of color. Uh, and now it's it's sort of become uh, sort of a marker term. So if you don't like something that seems regressive, you say, well, that's CRT. Uh, now, you know, the the original term woke and the uh, and CRT definitely have 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 real meaning. I mean, there's a definition to them. They, they, they mean something. But that's been distorted in a society that where we're looking for shortcuts to say, you are my enemy. And therefore, I don't listen to what you have to say. You are woke. You're doing CRT. I don't listen to what you have to say. So that, you know, that's part of the problem. This is why we can't have good conversations with one another. You know, you, you've talked about collaborative conversations. And I saw you're talking on Twitter. You were recently working with a group. And you had them engage in conversation on racial issues. And they couldn't use terms like woke or, or racist. So I'm assuming that... Mm -hmm. If someone said something, even if they thought the other person was maybe being racist, they couldn't just say that. Or if the other person thought that, oh, they couldn't use woke as a pejorative. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, how did maybe eliminating those terms shape the conversation? You know, how did it go, basically? Yeah, I think the conversation went well. I don't know if that and by itself uh, made it a better conversation. You know, but yeah, I did not allow them to say that that uh, someone is racist or someone is woke because uh, that is a conversation stopper. Uh, you know, and, and so I do think that I think we have to rethink about how we have these conversations. Uh, the these conversations, I fear that a lot of times people are are talking past each other because they're trying to score points for their team, 
And our racial polarization is reflective of the larger polarization in our society. And I'm not naive enough to believe that if we if we deal with racial polarization, that, that larger polarization will go away. I, I wish it would. But I think if we, we found tools to deal with our racial polarization, it'll make it easier for us to deal with the polarization otherwise. And so I think that those are some of the things that we have to uh, consider uh, as we move forward. Visiting with Dr. George Yancey and Dr. Yancey as we head into the final couple of minutes on the program here. I want to, want to try to tie it all together, particularly as, as people of faith. Uh, a lot of people listening would certainly uh, consider themselves people of faith. And I'm curious, how can we, what can we take away and how we can use these uh, these collaborative conversations or, or just simply approach these racial topics in, in a Christ-centered way? Yeah, so, you know, in, in my book, I I, just, I have a chapter where I discuss why I think that this approach is scriptural. And, you know, and it goes into larger issues of just, not just scripture, but the whole philosophy of Christianity, the philosophy of human depravity. Uh, and so, you know, I won't go all into that because that, that, that takes probably too much time that we have. What I will say is, it, you know, if all that we are as a church is taking sides on a larger battle, racial battle, polarization, what good are we? If we're not peacemakers, what good are we? So what I'm talking about is club conversation, being peacemakers, being different. Don't be like, a, don't be like the world, be different. Because the world can always find more warriors for, for this battle. But what the world needs is peacemakers. And so I'm trying to call the church into a peacemaking function, which I think is what Christ would do. That's great. Well, the book is called Beyond Racial Division, a Unifying Alternative to Colorblindness and Anti-Racism. Well, Dr. Yancey, really appreciate you taking the time to visit with us today and share with us. Thanks so much. Thank you, Derek. Thank you. Dr. George Yancey, Professor of the Social Sciences, our guest today on Baylor Connections. I'm Derek Smith. A reminder, you can hear this and other programs online, baylor.edu slash connections, and you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. Thanks for joining us here on Baylor Connections.